Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. As a former soldier, it pains me, absolutely pains me, to occasionally admit that sometimes, every now and then, you know, from time to time, uh, you know, every so often, those well-dressed chappies and chappesses of the Royal Australian Navy may possibly make some kind of contribution to Australia's military history. But alas, it is true, without the Navy we wouldn't get real far. And so, without any further ado, fanfare, pontification or gilding the lily in any way, here's one for the pusses from a reluctant pongo. Welcome to the Australian Military History Podcast, a podcast dedicated to Australian servicemen and women covering events, units and personalities from the Boer War through to the modern day. G'day everyone, welcome back. Just a quick shout out and a thank you to everyone who has taken the time to get involved on Instagram and Facebook and especially to Mere Mortals Media for your comment and review on iTunes as well as Mike and Elaine for your comments as well. Although in fairness, as my parents, you are kind of have to say nice things about me. Leaving reviews and comments on iTunes really does make a difference and uh, helps get the podcast out to a wider audience so that more people can learn about what our past and present Defence Force personnel have achieved. So now on to today's episode. If you read the title of this episode, you'll know that we'll be covering the naval force known as the Scrap Iron Flotilla. This was the nickname given to the five destroyers of the Royal Australian Navy, RAN, which served in the Mediterranean and Pacific theatres during World War II. Officially though, they were the 19th Destroyer Division, later known as the 10th Destroyer Flotilla. The five Navy vessels were former Royal Navy destroyers from World War I, acquired by the Australian government in the interwar years. The age of the ships didn't escape the notice of some German clown by the name of Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister. No doubt he thought he was being witty and clever when he named them the Scrap Iron Flotilla. But just like the rats of Tobruk would take an attempted insult and turn it into a badge of honour, so too did the Scrap Iron Flotilla, proudly carrying the tag as they proved themselves throughout the war. The five ships making up the flotilla were HMAS Stewart, HMAS Voyager, HMAS Vampire, HMAS Vendetta and HMAS Waterhen. And sorry to have to say this, but Waterhen? They must have really done something to upset whoever had the responsibility to name warships. But let's not allow that to take away from her achievements. And for the uninitiated, HMAS stands for Her Majesty's Australian Ship. Obviously, each of these ships was involved in different actions throughout the war, so I'm going to provide a brief summary of each ship's actions, and then I'll go into a bit more depth on the overall operations they were involved in. First up, HMAS Stewart. Stewart was recommissioned into the RAN on 1st of September 1939 under Commander Hector Waller. Leading the Scrap Iron Flotilla, she arrived in Malta on the 2nd of January 1940. In July 1940, Stewart led the 10th Flotilla in the Battle of Calabria. She was also involved in the Western Desert Campaign, providing gunfire support to land forces. On 30th of September 1940, she triumphed over the Italian submarine Gondar, forcing her crew to surrender. Stewart again supported land troops by assisting the 6th Australian Division in its capture of Tobruk on the 22nd of January 1941 and participated in the Battle of Cape Matapan in March. 
Following the ill-fated Greek campaign, Stuart assisted in the evacuation of Allied troops in April 1941, followed by the subsequent evacuation of Crete in May. During June and July of 1941, with the predominantly Australian garrison of Tobruk surrounded and under siege, the Stuart, with the other ships of the Scrap Iron Flotilla, participated in the Tobruk Ferry Service. A bit more on this later. In mid-August, she was forced to return to Australia to deal with a dodgy portside engine. She was laid up in docks until April 1942. After the refit, the destroyer was employed on convoy escort runs and anti-submarine patrols in eastern Australian waters. At the end of 1943, the destroyer was removed from service and during early 1944 was converted into a store ship and a troop transport. After conversion, Stewart operated in Australian and New Guinea waters until 1946. The ship earned eight battle honours for her wartime service. The Mediterranean 1940, Calabria 1940, Libya 1940-41, Matapan 1941, Greece 1941, Crete 1941, Pacific 1942-43 and New Guinea 1942-44. HMAS Voyager Voyager commenced active operations on 1st of January 1940, initially as a convoy escort operating out of Alexandria. The first offensive actions on 13th of June and 19th of June were less than auspicious as the submarine she was hunting slipped away. However, things went a bit better on the 27th of June when she attacked the Italian submarine Consoli Generale Luzzi off Crete in, some, in company with some British destroyers. Just goes to show that if you want Aussies to do something, whack a few palms in the area. There's no way we'll allow ourselves to be upstaged by a pack of soap dodgers. Two days later, the Allied ships encountered the Italian submarine Ubis Cabelli and sank her after capturing the crew. On 9th of July, Voyager was involved in the Battle of Calabria as escort to the aircraft carrier HMS Eagle. Interestingly, the Voyager had something of a mutiny on the 23rd of July. Twelve sailors sat down outside their mess deck and refused to move until their issue was addressed. A very Australian way of having a mutiny. More of a bit of a withdrawal of labour. The captain resolved the issue without charging the men or even officially noting the cause of the mutiny. Either one of two issues are believed to be the culprit. The lack of anti-aircraft armament or the fact that they were ordered to paint the ship in a nice camouflage motif which would mean they would be denied the opportunity for a bit of shore leave. I kind of hope it's the leave thing. It speaks to me on a spiritual level. In October, Voyager transported supplies to help establish a base on Crete. The rest of 1940 was spent escorting the Malta convoys and providing support to ground forces involved in the Libyan campaign. Like the Stuart, she was involved in the evacuation of Greece, evacuating 301 people, including 160 nurses, and the Tobruk Ferry Service. Engine problems forced her to withdraw in July, and she became the first ship of the Scrap Iron Flotilla to leave the area of operations. After her refit in Sydney, she commenced escort duties in Australian waters. In February 1942, Japanese forces captured the island of Timor, and members of the 2nd Independent Company began a guerrilla campaign. This campaign showed a bit of promise, so in late 1942, it was decided to land a larger force, including the 2nd 24th Independent Company, while withdrawing the battle-weary 2nd. Voyager was involved in this operation. On the 23rd of September, Voyager took up its position in Batano Bay and began unloading its troops. It turned out that they weren't in the greatest of positions, and so the commander made the fateful decision to get his ship lined up a bit better. Just as the anchor was raised, a large swell pushed the ship towards the shore. With troops in landing crafts making their way ashore, the captain was unable to manoeuvre, and the Voyager ran aground. 
Over the next few hours, she was lightened up so that an attempt could be made to float her off the beach on the next high tide. Unfortunately, by this time, she was well and truly stuck in the sand. So when a couple of Japanese planes flew overhead in the early afternoon of the 24th of September, she was sticking out like dogs, well, you know. Around 1600 hours, a flight of Japanese bombers attacked the ship and the beach. The destroyer was damaged beyond recovery, which likely upset the crew, but they were no doubt absolutely distraught when their alcohol supply, which had been brought ashore during the refloating attempts, was destroyed. A tragedy only slightly alleviated by the fact no crew members were injured. The destroyer's wartime service is recognised with seven battle honours. Darwin, 1942, Calabria, 1940, Libya, 1940-41, Greece, 1941, Crete, 1941, Mediterranean, 1941 and Pacific, 1942. HMA's Vampire From her arrival in the Mediterranean with the Scrap Iron Flotilla until April 1940, Vampire was primarily assigned to convoy escort duties between Malta and Marseille. From April 1940, she acted as an escort in anti-submarine patrol ship and escorted the British aircraft carrier HMS Eagle during the Battle of Calabria along with Voyager. Although she wasn't specifically targeted herself, she did suffer minor damage from splinters from near misses by the Italian attack on Eagle. Unfortunately, a splinter wounded a torpedo gunner who became the first fatality of the RAN during the war when he died three days later. After repairs in Alexandria, Vampire was used in several attempts to lure the Italian fleet to where the Allied force could attack, but the Italians were a bit too smart to fall for that. In late October and early November, the destroyer escorted convoys in Greek waters before being deployed to aid the Western Desert Campaign as an escort. On 20th of December, Vampire stripped her engines, forcing the destroyer to dock for repairs. These were completed on the 8th of January 1941. Anyone noticing a bit of a theme here? It seems the engines at the start of the war were not quite up to scratch. After the engines were repaired, Vampire was sent back to Greece, where she was involved in the evacuation of Greece and the Tobruk ferry service, although further engine problems meant she was withdrawn from service and sailed to Singapore for repairs. She was out of action until late 1941 and was never to rejoin the Scrap Iron Flotilla. In December 1941, she joined the British Eastern Fleet at Colombo, Ceylon. In the first week of December, the battlecruiser HMS Repulse started on a trip to Australia with Vampire and HMAS Tenedos as escorts, but the force was recalled because Singapore had come under attack by Japanese aircraft, signalling the start of the Malayan campaign. With news of the Pearl Harbour attack, it was soon confirmed that it was on in the Pacific. On 10th of December, the HMS Prince of Wales and the HMS Repulse were attacked by around 85 Japanese aircraft and both ships were sunk. The Vampire rescued 225 of the ship's crew, among 2,081 survivors, and delivered them to Singapore, where they were destined to join the other Allied forces who would eventually be taken prisoner with the fall of Singapore. On 26th of January 1942, reports were received of an unescorted group of Japanese troop ships sailing near Endau in Malaya. Vampire and HMS Thanet were ordered to intercept, but when they reached the convoy the next morning, they discovered that far from being unescorted, there were two cruisers and six destroyers waiting for them. Disconcerting, to say the least. The two Allied destroyers attempted to escape, but only Vampire was successful. On 11th of February, Vampire was attached to Eastern Fleet forces operating in the Indian Ocean where she was ordered to escort the British aircraft carrier HMS Hermes. The Japanese Fast Carrier Task Forces attacked Colombo in early April and Hermes and Vampire were ordered to set sail and were able to avoid the aerial bombardment. However, they were spotted and attacked by 85 dive bombers at 10.30 on the 12th of February. Hermes was attacked and was lost within 20 minutes. 
Vampire came under attack by 16 bombers and was able to shoot down one. But the remaining aircraft managed direct hits or near misses and 10 minutes after Hermes was sunk, Vampire broke in half and was lost. Nearly miraculously, only the captain and eight sailors lost their lives in the attack. Vampire was awarded five battle honours for her wartime service. Calabria 1940, Libya 1940-41, Greece 1941, Crete 1941 and Indian Ocean 1941-42. HMAS Vendetta. On arriving in the Mediterranean, Vendetta participated in the bombardment of Bardia in support of land operations resulting in the capture of the port city and again at Benghazi in January 1941. During March the ship was involved in the evacuation of Greece and took her place in the line to take on the Italian fleet at the Battle of Cape Matapan. She was, however, to take little part in the battle due to, yep, you guessed it, engine problems. She withdrew to Alexandria for repairs and was back on duty by April. During May of 1941, Vendetta served with the Allied fleet off the island of Crete, attempting to deny German air superiority during the Battle of and evacuation from Crete. Having successfully evacuated the troops from Crete, she took part in the Tobruk ferry service. After one run to Tobruk, Vendetta and a British destroyer, HMS Defender, were spotted by Axis planes and were subjected to a bomber attack. Defender was crippled by the attack and Vendetta took her crew and equipment then attempted to tow the ship back to port. A noble effort which proved beyond them and Vendetta was forced to torpedo the Defender before returning to Alexandria. Vendetta performed 20 runs into Tobruk, the most runs by any ship in the service. After such sterling service, she was withdrawn from the Mediterranean theatre and sailed to Singapore for a well-earned refit. The Japanese attacks on Singapore commenced on 8th of December 1941 and Vendetta's anti-aircraft weapons were removed and mounted around the dockyards in an attempt to bolster the harbour's air defence. Obviously, without weapons, she wasn't much use as a naval vessel and so in February 1942 she was towed back to Australia, with some difficulty, for a full refit. The refit took the best part of 12 months and she was modified to a dedicated escort vessel and spent the remainder of the war providing escorts and transport between Australia and New Guinea. Vendetta was recognised with seven battle honours. Libya 1940-41, Matapan 1941, Greece 1941, Crete 1941, Mediterranean 1941, Pacific 1941-43 and New Guinea 1943-44. And finally HMAS Waterhen, the old chook. While en route to the Mediterranean with the rest of the flotilla, Waterhen was detached to participate in the unsuccessful hunt for the German warship Admiral Graf Spee and then rejoined her sister ships. She supported ground forces at Bardia and continued escort and anti-submarine patrols. On 17th of August, the destroyer performed shore bombardments of the Libyan coast. In October, she was among the ships escorting supplies to Crete. On 25th of December, Waterhen captured the Italian sailing vessel Tiro Remo di Rito as she was attempting to bring supplies to Italian forces at Tobruk. After taking the Italian crew on board, they indulged in a bit of target practice and sent the ship to the briny deep. On 30th of December, Waterhen had a bit of a whoopsie moment when she unintentionally rammed and sank the submarine trawler HMS Bandolero and was forced to dock for repairs. She took part in the evacuations of Greece and Crete and the Tobruk ferry service. On 29th of June, Waterhen and HMS Defender were making a supply run to Tobruk when they were attacked by 19 Junkers JU-87 dive bombers. They were pretty much caught with their pants down and Waterhen was seriously damaged. Strangely enough, the only casualty was a slight wound caused by a flying can of bully beef. She suffered a near hit near the stern by a single 500kg bomb which resulted in the flooding of the engine and boiler rooms. 
The defender took her in tow, but on 30th of June 1941, she rolled over, filled with water, and sank. She was the first RAN vessel to be lost to enemy action in World War II. Waterhen earned three battle honours for wartime service. Libya 1941, Greece 1941, and Crete 1941. So that's just a very brief rundown of the main events for each of the ships. As you can tell, their main combat service was in the Mediterranean theatre in 1940 and 41, involving the evacuations of Greece and Crete, the Battle of Matapan and the Tobruk Ferry Service. So now I'll cover each of those actions, keeping in mind that although I'll be focusing on the Australian ships, they were only a part of a much larger naval force. If you are aware of any of your family members who served on other ships during those operations, then hopefully by documenting what our mob got up to, We'll also give an idea of what the rest of the British Navy did. So first up, the Battle of Matapan. HMAS Stewart was the main representative of the Scrap Iron Flotilla at Matapan. As previously stated, Vendetta had to dip out due to engine problems. However, Stewart wasn't the only Australian ship in the fight. HMAS Perth was heavily involved, as you'll soon see. Alongside the Australian ships were HMS Orion, HMS Ajax and HMS Gloucester. Cape Matapan is the southernmost point of Europe, hanging off the end of the mainland of Greece. The ancient Greeks believed that a cave situated on the Cape was the home of Hades, god of the dead. A temple to the sea god Poseidon was located on a hill above the cave. On the 29th of March 1941, Hades and Poseidon would have had a god's eye view of the battle taking place just off the coast as the British fleet, including the Australians, took on the men and ships of Italy. The Italians consisted of one battleship, eight cruisers, plus a handful of destroyers. The Allied fleet had been tasked to escort troop ships transporting forces from Crete to Greece for the ill-fated Greek campaign. The Italian commanders were aware of this movement and ordered its fleet to intercept. Turns out the Allied intelligence wasn't as good as the Italians as they had no idea what they were sailing into. At around 6am the British fleet was sighted by the Italians and around the same time the English aircraft carrier HMS Formidable sighted the Italians and subsequently advised the escort vessels who prepared for action. At 7.45am HMAS Perth identified the Italian cruisers Bolzano, Trieste and Trianto. Half an hour later the Italians opened an accurate fire and closed rapidly. They concentrated most of their attention on HMS Gloucester who responded in kind. HMS Orion started to make smoke to try and attract the attention of the remainder of the British fleet. At 9am, fearing they were about to be outnumbered by additional ships, the Italians broke off the engagement. The Allied cruisers turned to shadow them. Shortly before 11am, they ran into the new Italian battleship Vittorio Veneto. Vittorio Veneto boasted 9 15-inch guns in 3 triple turrets, 12 6-inch guns in 4 triple turrets and 4 4.7-inch guns. She also boasted 12 3.5-inch anti-aircraft guns, so, you know, reasonably well-equipped. The Allied fleet was now caught between the battleship and the three Italian cruisers. Vittorio Veneto soon lobbed 94 shells in the general direction of HMAS Perth, but amazingly only inflicted minor damage. Obviously outgunned, the Allied cruisers set up a smoke screen and headed south at full speed to try to escape. They were now in a very dangerous position, as the Italian battleship was driving them towards the Italian cruisers. At 11.27, just as disaster seemed about to strike, aircraft from HMS Formidable attacked Vittorio Veneto, putting a couple of holes in her and she broke off the pursuit. While all this was going on, HMAS Stewart was in company with some British destroyers. As night closed in, fires could be seen floating on the water, Italian ships which had been hit during the battle. Chief Signals Yeoman Watkins of the Stewart wrote a report of this phase of the battle. 
We went around and headed in the general direction of the biggest fire, Stuart leading. As we closed, ready to carry out a subdivisional torpedo attack, we made out the shape of a cruiser on fire amidships and we passed down the signal, stand by to fire torpedoes. As we turned to fire, we also made out a second cruiser, slowly circling the burning ship. So away went all our fish, torpedoes. Subsequent reports and events showed that we hit both ships. The ship that had been burning sunk, though we had been too busy to see her. The second ship, which was previously undamaged, was hit amidships and her engines and dynamos put out of action, and as her guns were entirely controlled by electricity, the ship was useless. It appears that the crew on finding the ship hit promptly took to the water. A survivor from the cruiser, a yeoman of signals, stated, When the ship was torpedo, I cried, Mamma mia, grabbed two life belts and jumped overboard. We saw this second ship at a later period with a heavy list. That's basically it for Matapan. Obviously it's a bit more detailed than that, but that's not what this episode is about, so that'll do for our purposes. Suffice to say, it was a vital victory in the theatre for the Allies. It allowed troops to be landed in Greece and to later be evacuated without too much interference. Which brings us to the next bit, the evacuation of Greece and Crete. I'll cover the Greek and Crete campaigns in their own episode, but won't, so I won't cover them here. But I'll cover evacu- the evacuation as the Scrap Iron Flotilla was heavily involved in that operation. With German forces seemingly unstoppable, General Weyl issued instructions to prepare for the evacuation of nearly 50,000 troops, with as much equipment as possible to be saved. Eight main embarkation points were identified and the required shipping was gathered. At predetermined times, the ships converged on their assigned destination where the troops were waiting. Despite the Allied victory at Matapan, there was still a considerable risk to the ships from German air attack and 26 ships were sunk, 22 Greek and 4 British. However, none of the unfortunate vessels were Australian. The evacuation was conducted over a week, with most of the troops being transported to the island of Crete in an attempt to make another stand there. On 20th May, German paratroopers began the attack at Malami, Retimo and Heraklion, and the British administrative area of Kanae Suda. And I realise I probably just butchered the pronunciation of all of those. Well, I apologise. The initial attacks were devastated by accurate and heavy fire from the Allies, with some German units almost completely destroyed. However, a group of paratroopers who landed to the west of Malami landed basically unopposed and were able to make a concerted attack on the airfield. The New Zealand 22nd Battalion put up a solid resistance and held firm despite heavy losses. However, their commander had received a bit of dodgy intelligence and formed the opinion that his forces had been overrun. He ordered the withdrawal of his troops, which handed the Malami airfield to the Germans. They commenced using this airfield the following day to land troops, and the fate of Crete was sealed. Once again, the Navy was called in to evacuate the troops. The main evacuation point was Svakia on the south coast. Again, I've, I've butchered that, but anyway. Over the nights of the 28th of May to 1st of June, the Navy ran the gauntlet of German planes and were able to clear most of the waiting troops. Unfortunately, there was not sufficient room on the available ships to accommodate the entire force. The 2-1st and 2-11th battalions didn't receive word of the evacuation in time and had little choice but to surrender. Some small groups did manage to evade the Germans for a while, but were eventually rounded up. The Tobruk Ferry Service By January of 1941, Erwin Rommel's Africa Corps had forced the Allied forces back to the harbour town of Tobruk in Libya. The forces who would garrison this town were primarily made up of the Australian 9th Division under Lieutenant General Leslie Morshead. Rommel's first attempt to seize the town was, a, was masterfully repelled. The siege of Tobruk had begun. After the first battle, Rommel's forces created a perimeter around the town, cutting off any possibility of overland supply. Like Gallipoli, Tobruk was all about holding on, 
and like Gallipoli, the only option for resupply and reinforcement and the evacuation of wounded was by sea. The Luftwaffe had almost complete dominance in the air and a U-boat threat out in the Mediterranean. To approach and dock it to Brook Harbour in daylight would amount to suicide, the ships being sitting ducks presenting the Stukas with unmissable targets. This meant the ships had to rush into the harbour after dark, unload supplies and men, load up the wounded and be out to sea again before dawn. Each run, as they became known, would consist of a four-day routine. At 0700 on day one, the ships would load up in Alexandria and be heading to Tobruk by 0800 at moderate speed. At 1500 and 2000 hours, they would increase speed to 25 knots and 28 knots respectively. At 2300 hours, they would dock within the harbour. At 0100, it was time to go. They would steam slowly out of the harbour until in open waters and then crank it up and go full tilt to ensure they would be on bomber range by daylight. At 0900, they would be unloading the wounded at Mercer Matru and then loading up more supplies. At 13.30, they left Mercer Matru and headed back to Tobruk Harbour as per day one. At 0100 on day four, they departed Tobruk and were back in Alexandria by 13.30 ready to do it all again. As well as British ships, the Scrap Iron Flotilla was joined in the ferry service by HMAS Parramatta. All up, the Australian ships made a total of 139 runs into Tobruk. The Ward Hen was lost as I'd previously described, and the other ships of the flotilla managed to survive relatively intact. Not so for the Parramatta. Making her run into the harbour on the 27th of November, in the final days of the siege, the Parramatta was spotted by a U-boat and torpedoed. She went down with 139 men, including its skipper, Commander Walker. The ferry service managed to deliver 72 tanks, 92 guns, 33,946 tonnes of ammunition and food, including 108 live sheep for the Indian troops. 7,516 wounded were evacuated, along with 7,097 prisoners. After the decision was made to replace the garrison with fresh troops at the end of 1941, 32,667 troops were evacuated and 34,113 fresh troops were landed. Across all Allied navies, 27 ships were sunk and a further 27 damaged. 469 lives were lost and 186 wounded. The Merchant Navy lost 70 killed and 55 wounded. Not a bad effort. It kept the garrison fighting and held up Rommel for a vital eight months, allowing British forces elsewhere in North Africa to be brought up to speed and later thrown into the fight at Al Alamein. But that's a different story. So that's the story of the Scrap Iron Flotilla, a bunch of off-cast, outdated British ships which nonetheless played an important role in the Mediterranean and, to a lesser degree perhaps, in the Pacific. As much as it hurts this old soldier to say so, the army would have been buggered without the valuable assistance provided by these ships and the men who sailed them. A well-deserved salute to the lot of them. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If so, please feel free to leave a comment at the website at australianmilitaryhistorypodcast.com or on Instagram under AMH Podcast, or on Facebook. And don't forget to leave a review and a comment on iTunes. And also remember, if there's any aspect of our military history which you would like to hear about, drop me a line at amhp.media at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to the Australian Military History Podcast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 